Thanks for joining the Hague Mennonite Church podcast. We are a small and friendly congregation in Hague, Saskatchewan. Here you will find our weekly messages and we hope you will be encouraged and blessed. Let's get it started. So as Dylan was up here, the more compassionate people among us were probably wondering why in the world I would do that to him. And yes, I saw he was on the list and I chose this for him. He's a young guy, he's brave enough to come up and read in front of the church, and I give him probably one of the most unwieldy passages in the whole Bible. That's a really good question, if you're wondering that. And then I thought about that a little more, and I realized that it's also probably not a great idea to read a genealogy in the middle of a church service when you really want people to be interested or attentive to the sermon. When I was planning this, I had echoes in my memory of Simpsons episodes where Reverend Lovejoy would stand in front of the church and read genealogies, and the whole congregation would fall asleep with Homer snoring loudly. That's just etched into my brain. And here I am doing it. But here's the thing. What Dylan just read is exactly how the New Testament starts. Very first page of the New Testament. Why would Matthew have started his gospel this way? And if you look at the other gospels, Mark starts his gospel by describing this prophet in the wilderness wearing camel's hair and eating locusts. He starts there, and that will get your attention. Luke begins with this beautiful ongoing story of the anticipation of John the Baptist and of Jesus and of their mothers, and it's poetic and it's wonderful. And John's gospel starts with these epic words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But Matthew kicks off the most important thing he ever wrote with a genealogy. The first thing people read when they open the New Testament is this list of strange and hard-to-pronounce names. Once you start to get to know the Gospels a little bit, you start to realize that each Gospel kind of has its own personality. And the Gospel writers aren't just trying to write down um, everything that they remember about Jesus. I, I think John even says that if he were to do that, that scroll would go on and on and on. They have a limited amount of space. They want to write a letter that people can send around so that each Gospel is written with a specific purpose. If you were a part of our Mark Bible study this last summer, you would have seen that Mark isn't just telling us the story of Jesus. Mark also has a point to make. Mark is actually making an argument. He's leading you along through his argument through the gospel. He wants you to ask in the first half of the gospel with all the other characters in the gospel, who is Jesus? And he wants you, by the end of the gospel, to agree with the centurion who says, this is the Son of God. But Mark doesn't really do a lot to tell you directly what to think. And Matthew is trying to make a point, too. And what's interesting is, it's a totally different point. Or a way of making the point. I thought, to kick off the new year, for the next 28 sermons... 
we are going to walk through the book of Matthew chapter by chapter. And it also takes a lot of pressure off of me because I don't have to make a lot of decisions for about 28 weeks. But We are going to be preaching with Matthew for a few exceptions any Sunday. There will be other things coming in to break it up a little bit. And another thing that I think we would try is every adult Sunday school class is going to be on exactly the same chapter as the sermon. So what's cool about the Sunday school is you can get into more of the details and you can ask questions and discuss things. So by all means, feel free to come to that at 945. But the idea is, taking this time with study and with preaching, I hope that we could really come to understand why Matthew wrote his gospel and what exactly he's trying to tell us, because I think it's pivotally important. The Gospel of Matthew is, in the simplest terms, about fulfillment. It's about God keeping his promises. It's about scriptures and prophecies coming to completion. And it's about all of biblical history, all of that Old Testament, coming to center on one man at one time, on Jesus. So fulfillment. Matthew is all full of this theme. And I pulled two examples out of chapter 1 that we're going to look at this morning. I looked it up, and fulfillment is defined of the achievement of something desired, promised, or predicted. The achievement of something you desire that's been promised to you or that has been predicted in the case of prophecy. That exactly describes what is going on in this gospel. And I think we sort of get it. We all have certain things that we have seen fulfilled or that we want to see fulfilled. We all want things like meaningful careers or a meaningful retirement. And we probably all have had specific goals in our work life, and we probably, many of us, have goals for our work life, things that we want to see fulfilled. We all want to see certain things fulfilled in our family when it comes to health and grandchildren and maybe even healing and illness, whatever it may be. We all seek and desire fulfillment. And here's one example. Many of us know what it's like to be pregnant or to have a pregnant wife. And you know what it's like in that case to want with all your heart to see that pregnancy fulfilled, because that pregnancy is like a promise. It's leading somewhere, and it's leading to something that you know is good. Even if that good thing is about three feet tall and blonde and really disruptive, you really look forward to it. It's good. But even if you are struggling to have children, you still understand this idea of desire and fulfillment. Because your sense of fulfillment is squarely on desire. It's something you want. And you wait on God to fulfill it. So if you've been there, you get how this works between desire and fulfillment. And and prediction and promise and fulfillment. We all have things that we want fulfilled. And I use the example of children because because we start the New Testament with the genealogy. So-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. Something is being fulfilled in all of these so-and-sos. 
Against all odds and against Satan's very best efforts to break this family line over an extreme amount of time and extreme circumstances, this baby is born. Verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is already a really interesting phrase when you just stop and think about it. Because think about this. Abraham lived 1,200 years before David. And David lived roughly 1,000 years before Jesus. And Jesus is being called the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's a big leap. I know my ancestor's name from 400 years ago because doles were not very creative with their naming, and there's about 100 Peters. I don't know who my ancestor was 1,000 years ago, and nobody's calling me his son. Twenty two hundred years before Jesus, that's a bigger chunk of time than even us in Jesus, is the time of Abraham. And Abraham was promised in Genesis twenty two, verse eighteen, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The King James Version actually get, translates this really, really well. Because it doesn't say offspring. The King James says seed. In your seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed. Which in Hebrew is literally what the word is. Same word as seed, zerah. And zerah in this case is singular. It's one seed. It's not in all of your descendants. It's in one offspring. One descendant of Abraham who is going to bless every nation in the world. Someone directly descended from Abraham is going to make this world right with God. It's a promise that needs fulfillment. We humans were broken from the beginning. There is nothing new under the sun, and the brokenness that we have all experienced is nothing new. Adam and Eve started broken as soon as they sinned. Noah's family were broken people. Abraham was broken, and he was sinful, and he was a mix of good and bad. Abraham's son, his grandson, his great-grandson, they were all broken, and they all struggled, just like any of us. So how in the world is one of these broken people going to bless the whole world, one of these descendants of Abraham? 1,200 years of broken men and women, and we get to King David. And King David was still waiting For that one, he was waiting for that Zerah who could bless all nations and make things right. And we know this because this is what God said to him in 2 Samuel. If you have time to bring this up, Corey, it's 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13. And this is what David looked forward to. It says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. And guess what word is there for offspring? Seed. One. Who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. These are amazing words, and it's the same promise. It's the same seed that's being promised 1,200 years after the promise was first made. God is repeating to the, the promise to King David. One of his sons is going to establish a kingdom, but it's a kingdom which lasts forever. So as one of my professors would say, if you think Solomon, David's son, fulfills this promise, the pants are way too big because his kingdom did not last forever. It didn't survive him. And this one, the scriptures even say, will be a son of God. And imagine what that would have sounded like in David's ears. So we're getting more information about God's plan. So do you see what Matthew is up to? When he says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's saying, I'm going to tell you about Jesus the Messiah. That's what Christ means. And by the way, he's the seed of Abraham we've been reading about. And of David. 2,200 years, and we finally see the fulfillment of these promises made to these two men. That's 2,200 years of suffering and failure and decline and even the exile of all of Israel. And now God is keeping his promise. Okay, that's one line, verse one. (laughs) But I think that verse, once you start to unpack it, you see why starting with the genealogy makes sense. The whole Old Testament is about one seed that one descendant who's going to bless the world, create an eternal kingdom, and he's somehow going to reconcile us with God. The purpose of the nation of Israel and the reason they were called out is to prepare the way for Jesus. And here, as we heard Dylan read today, we have recorded the evidence, generation by generation, that God, against all odds, has kept the promise. Now, we could look further at the genealogy. There's a lot of really interesting notes and tangents in there. But we discussed that in Sunday school, and I can't cover everything. So come to Sunday school. Another plug. So let's look at a second example of fulfillment in Matthew chapter 1. And actually, the genealogy causes a really interesting problem. If you were a total skeptic, and you opened the book of Matthew trying to disprove the credibility of Jesus you would now have a a very interesting objection. This genealogy seems to fulfill the promises made to Abraham and David, but it does create this problem, because the genealogy winds up on Joseph. And Mary was a virgin who conceived from the Holy Spirit in a total miracle and not from Joseph. So if this genealogy, if this line and this promise winds up on Joseph then how does it work if Joseph isn't technically Jesus' father? And Matthew is totally aware of this, and that's why he writes the second half of the first chapter. An angel appears to reconcile the problem. And the angel explains that Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mary didn't cheat on him as he's worried. And then let's look at verse 21 of chapter 1. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. There's a lot going on in this line again. And what's going on here is really easy for us to miss. The angel tells Joseph to call the baby Jesus. That's the first amazing thing happening. Because you see, in this culture, the right of naming a child fell only and exclusively to the father. By naming the child, Joseph is accepting fully Jesus as his son and claiming his right as father. Jesus becomes a part of Joseph's genealogy. And then there's the name that Joseph gives him, Jesus. I've mentioned this many times before. Day to day in Hebrew or Aramaic, he would have been called Yeshua or Yehoshua. And in Hebrew, Yeshua, if you were to say that um, on the streets of Jerusalem today, they wouldn't hear Jesus because they don't really know his name. They would hear Yahweh saves. Yahweh being the personal name of God from the Old Testament. So he's supposed to be named Yahweh saves. This boy descended from Abraham and David is basically named salvation. And that line isn't even done. The angel says, why would you call him Yeshua? The angel explains, for he will save people from their sins. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. And he will save people from their sins. But the question is, who is doing the saving? Because his name means Yahweh saves. God saves. So is Jesus the child saving people from their sins? Yes. Is Yahweh God, the Father, saving people from their sins? Yes. Both are true. And if that sounds a little bit confusing, we can look just below at verse 22. Matthew gave us this really helpful editorial note. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew is pointing back to a scripture from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, which describes that a virgin will have a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which, as is explained in Hebrew, is God with us. It's a promise. And Matthew is actually telling you that here again the promise is fulfilled. But we say, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't named Emmanuel. What are you talking about, Matthew? He was named Jesus. But look at what Matthew says. He chooses his wording very carefully. He says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew is saying when people get to know this Yeshua, people are going to say, they are going to say that this is God with us. Somehow in this man, both he and God save us from our sins. His name is salvation. He saves and God saves. Because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And it's amazing. It's all there in chapter 1 in a couple lines. A promise fulfilled. The Gospel of Matthew is full of promises fulfilled. These are just a couple examples from the first chapter. 
I counted in my Bible this morning, and I have a large print Bible, and in my Bible, Matthew is only about 40 pages long, give or take. And I did some research, and in those 40 pages, Matthew directly quotes the Old Testament 52 times, and he refers to the Old Testament more than 260 times. I don't even know how that's possible. If I set out to do that, I probably couldn't. But he has a point to make. In the Bible, God has made specific, specific promises about the fate of the world and even our fate. He's made specific promises about salvation. And he's made specific promises about where the world is going. And he keeps these promises in Jesus. This theme of fulfillment matters because we need hope. And fulfillment matters because by reading these words in this old book, we see that over thousands of years, God kept his word to a letter. He is trustworthy and keeps his promises. And that his plan is for good. We need to know that all of this is going somewhere. We need to know that God's will will be done. And there are promises yet to be fulfilled in the scriptures, and they are beautiful. So then I ask, where do you need to find fulfillment? Is work fulfilling? Is retirement fulfilling? Is your family life and relationships fulfilling? Is your spiritual life fulfilling? Has God made promises in your life which you know you need him to keep? I've told my story here before, and I'll probably tell it again sometime, but when I was a teenager, I had an encounter with a living, real God that changed my life. And I remember at the moment, knowing even then, that because I had known God, I knew that that from that point forward, nothing short of living for God was going to fulfill me. Everything else was going to fall short. I had this idea of how powerful and amazing and good he is. And I remember even then thinking to myself, well, I guess now i got to become a pastor or something. So for me, in some ways that I probably don't even realize, standing here this Sunday, the beginning of 2019, with you is a fulfillment. Here I am, God, just like I said 15 years ago. And I believe Pastor Artur is living on God's promises in his life. And that he and his family will find fulfillment in a new ministry of God's will. But to do so, they rely on God's promises. He will need that fulfillment. They will need that fulfillment. And God is reliable. And I trust, as I mentioned in my prayer, that in a couple months we're going to have some exciting things to talk about in their lives. And wherever you're at right now, you may be at a great point in your life and things may be really exciting, or you may feel totally unfulfilled. You may feel unfulfilled at work. You may feel unfulfilled in your family or in your marriage. You may feel spiritually spent. But remember that our God is a God of fulfilled promises. He makes big promises. He makes promises about virgin births and salvation coming to the whole world. And the more we desire the things he has promised, the more fulfilled we will be.
I want to take just a moment to think about Joseph. Matthew says that Joseph was a just or a righteous man. And if we look at his situation, this is what we know. He's a fairly poor carpenter from a tiny town of Nazareth, which probably was no more than 500 people. And this carpenter, just starting out on his life, on his career, never expecting to make a lot of money, finds out that his fiancée is pregnant, and he knows that that has nothing to do with him. And here he is with a situation where he decides he needs to cancel their marriage. And he knows he's in an awful situation. But even if this situation seems totally lost, God's promises are fulfilled in it. And in a moment, in a couple lines in our scripture, Joseph goes from thinking Mary cheated on him to naming the Son of God as his own son. And in a moment, God's will is fulfilled And it's fulfilled for the good in a situation which looks rotten. Joseph is in the will of God. He obeys. He believes the words of the angel and of God and he takes Mary as his wife. He lines up his desires with God's desires and Joseph is fulfilled. And today we know that he rejoices in heaven as nations bow down and worship the boy that he raised. You are also a part of God keeping his promises. God has things, specific things, that he wants to fulfill in you. Wait on and pray for his promises. Do the things that he commands us, and as we dive deeper into Matthew, we're going to see the commands of Jesus. But if we listen to Jesus and obey him, God's will will be fulfilled in us. And by fulfilling God's will in us, we will finally be fulfilled. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray together that we would be a people called out by name that seek to fulfill your will. Father, where there is emptiness and there is disappointment and unfulfillment in our life, Lord, I pray that our will and desire would be changed. Because if our desires are centered on the things that we want for ourselves, we will be unfulfilled. But if we desire that which you desire, we will be fulfilled because you keep your promises. So I pray, Lord, that for each of us here, our desire would be first for your desires. That we could see your things fulfilled and celebrate with you. And Lord, we all share this desire before all desires. Jesus comes soon. That is a promise that you've made, and Lord, the day when we look together and we see that promise fulfilled, how beautiful that will be. As we heard in the song this morning, I can only imagine. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Hague Mennonite Church Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to our website hagemennonitechurch.ca. Until the next time.